Today on Doctor Who's That, we talk about Creepy Susan, Space Beds, and Barbara, Barbara, Barbara. Welcome back to episode three of Doctor Who's That, the podcast where we drive a newbie to the brink of of destruction by making him watch all of Doctor Who. I am Sean Gleason, uh, your expert host. Uh, My name's Andy, and I am your modern Doctor Who host. And I am Bay. And uh, I am that newbie there on the brink. (laughs) Yes. Well, usually we have a guest host, but our guest was unable to join us today. So it'll just be the three of us, which actually seems rather appropriate considering the episode that we're watching today, The Edge of Who are you guys? Where are we? What's happening? (laughs) I think I've met you before. So a little bit about um, the production of this particular story and unlike past stories there's not all that much with this one in terms of alternate names for this serial it's also been called inside the spaceship but its official name is edge of destruction uh, which is how you usually see it referred to this story was written by david whitaker who if you remember is the script editor of the show at this point. He ended up commissioning himself to write this one, which he wasn't really sure if he was allowed to do that. So he just took the writer's credit on this story and not the story editing one. Uh, It was still in the early days of the concept of script editor. And actually... Off and on through the years, the rules would change about that. Sometimes script editors were able to commission themselves to write these things. Other times they weren't. Whitaker wrote this story in about two days. And its primary purpose was to fill out the initial run of 13 episodes. At the time that he had commissioned himself... They weren't sure if the show was going to continue past those 13 episodes. By the time they began recording it, the Daleks had already become popular, so they knew the show would go on, but they decided to keep this script and record it and air it. And we'll, we'll hopefully see a little bit of why that is as Sonny, we talk it, about it meant this as a series finale? Then? Like, it, that was the concept then? Was it changed at all? Yeah, it, it was a potential series ender. It wouldn't be the most satisfying of endings, but it was there as a potential way to end the series if they needed to. 
See, I find that that's that just kind of. I mean, we'll get into this once you once you finish with the in, initial introductions. But that I find that kind of interesting. Like, I'm I'm not really sure uh, how to think of this episode now. But kind of uh, puts a new spin on it. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine it as like a series ender. You know, it didn't feel dramatic. It didn't feel like really anything. I guess had been. But it was a good up. way to kind of get more time with our characters and and could have been a you know a nice send-off where they're all going out into the snow happy i just feel like maybe coming back to london would have been a better choice <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like well we're here in the snow on this unknown planet goodbye <laughs> yep and it was also designed as an example of a third type of story you have the stories that take place in some distant point in the past stories that took place at some point in the future. This was one that they called Sideways in Time, where it was just sort of at some point in time, I guess. I mean, we can talk about it a little bit more when we get into the meat of it, but it's very different from the first two serials. Yeah. So initially, they had assigned a director named Patty Russell to this story. And she was one of the few female directors at the BBC at the time. But since they had to reshoot the first, the pilot episode, and they also had to reshoot the first episode of the Daleks, she just became unavailable. She would thankfully eventually direct for the show, but at this point, they gave the first episode to Richard Martin again. And the second episode to somebody named Frank Cox. I couldn't really find that much about Frank Cox other than this was his directorial debut. He directed two more episodes of Doctor Who. And this isn't serials. This is like episodes. He directed a couple portions of one story that somebody else finished. So he didn't do too much with the show. And he's also one of the few people we're talking about who still is alive. Must have been pretty young. So he's got eh, <laughs> he's got that going for him. Both the directors of this story are still alive. This is the only serial that has no guest actors whatsoever. And in fact, it has the smallest cast of any Doctor Who story. And I think that holds true for the modern series as well. Even the one that came to my mind as having the fewest people still had four characters who showed up and a stunt double. So as far as I could tell, this is, this is in fact, out of modern and classic Doctor Who, the one with the smallest cast. It's the only story to take place entirely inside the TARDIS, except for that little ending cliffhanger. And it's also the cheapest serial. The budget of the show was 2,500 pounds, or yeah, 2,500 pounds per episode. This entire serial, both parts, cost 1,480 pounds. Wow. So it was a bit of a money saver after the last couple serials. That's interesting. I really, uh, it, you know, I mean, of course, it, it definitely, it felt like a very tightly budgeted episode, but... Uh, it ends up not seeming to matter all that much. Yeah. I, they, they did plenty of character work in this one. And the least you could say about this story is that it's interesting. 
I know that Bay <laughs> has expressed that he wasn't particularly happy with I, the way I mean, that everything we'll, wrapped we'll up. We'll get to that, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit cranky <laughs> yeah. about this one. It's it's uh yeah, this was easily my least favorite of all of the ones so far. But it was an interesting road to get there anyway. And just a couple additional bits of trivia that I have written down. This is one of the few Doctor Who stories in which no one dies. And during the rehearsal for this story, you know, William Hartnell recognized that he was already beginning to get the reputation (laughs) for flubbing his lines. So he decided to play a little bit of a joke on the rest of the cast. At one point during the rehearsals for this story, he referred to the fault locator as... Cover your ears, kids. The fornicator. Uh, They don't even know what that means anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a little bit of a uh, funny, you know, Hartnell poking fun of himself sort of story. At this point, he was still getting along with people. That that changes eventually. Yeah. That's kind of everything that I have to go over here. So I just want to let our audience know that, you know, at this point, the show show itself, Doctor Who, is being very experimental. So we're going to try a bit of a uh, experiment here as well. I've been leading the discussion the last couple of episodes. And this time around, I'm going to hand over the reins to Andy. Changing it up. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. So I think it's tempting to overlook this episode, maybe almost as like filler. I mean, like, so that's what I was getting at earlier when I said I was, I was, I, I didn't really know how to treat this episode, right? Because you said it was intended to, to be, to act as a series ender. And, you know, I've seen, you know, several, um, episodes like that you know where the they uh where a series doesn't know whether they're going to be canceled or not doesn't know whether you know they're going to have a next season so they'll have something that kind of builds up has a you know some kind of finale you know and i found it very strange that this one this episode had been intended as a possible series ender because it really doesn't feel like one at all there's no uh, resolutions of any kind they don't you know ma- like i said they don't make it back to to england or well, it's anything pretty like anticlimactic, that it's just though. um by the end of it you know uh, they get along a little bit better which i mean is great but and we can talk about that in a little bit you know usually when a series doesn't know if they're going to be picked up again they'll kind of bring things to a head a little bit they'll kind of um have a dramatic episode that either you know, could could be a satisfying ending or at least something that is um, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if it like, you know, kind of like Firefly's um, final episode, you know, where they, they face like one of their greatest <clears throat> antagonists yet. Uh, so it's it's interesting. This one was intended to be a series ender because it really it for the most part, it just felt like another episode or like an episode whose entire purpose was to. Uh, develop the relationship between the characters which it certainly does which so that's that that is odd but i think it is it can be tempting to overlook this one a little bit as like filler like you know they didn't have any money left and they certainly like we discussed they certainly did it for a budget but i thought it was um you know it's actually kind of a, a at least 
in the first half, a very like taut kind of psychological drama, almost like a stage play. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a lot of um, of psychological stuff going on in that first one. Just yeah. Occasionally, you have people lurking creepily in the background. Lots of creepy Susan in this one. Yeah, yeah. I was particularly <laughs> impressed with that. Um, there, there's def- <laughs> definitely uh, a lot of creepy Susan. Uh, several uh, instances where she would just kind of show up and say something, and it was very, you know, ah, oh, what are you doing, Susan? And you also had a bit of creepiness with Ian, you know, where. At one point, he's there, passed out on a chair. The next time you see him, he's standing up and is just kind of talking and acting a bit weird. Yeah, that was uh, so. Me, the episode begins with everybody basically passed out on the floor, and you know, um, you know, Barbara's the first person to wake up, and she kind of, you know, every from the from the get go, everything's kind of kind of wrong you know everybody seems to be uh, kind of fragmented their memories are kind of fragmented it reminded me of like like an art house film where it'll just suddenly cut to somebody saying something like something ordinary you know like yeah i think i remember at one point ian's like oh yeah no barbara you're working late yeah (laughs) he's like you're working late and she's referring to him as mr chesterton the music really helps you know they're all confused (laughs) everybody's just kind of rebooting droning unnerving electronic music to set the scene and then everybody's yeah everyone's everyone's being so weird there at the beginning yes which i loved once again Yep, and the music for this story was done by someone named Stock Music. <laughs> oh no, which is a shame because I like uh, it's always <laughs> I, I just wanted to praise every time I want to praise the music or something like that. I feel like it's just, oh no that we got that off of you know Audio Hub or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know like but it was so like I really liked it. Like it was very simple, you know. Um, but that's all that it needed to do. Like I really. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I guess they picked the right stock music. So, you know, this episode's it's fairly fairly simple. It, it definitely feels like there are pieces of other narratives in it. Like like there are pieces of like a Agatha Christie murder mystery in it, except it's who murdered the ship mm-hmm. or you know, 12 angry men, you know, people kind of throwing accusations around and yelling at each other, but that that doesn't ever really it um, doesn't really ever reach like a fever pitch. Yeah. Well, you yeah. also have a little bit of something like, say, um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers or something. Yeah. When it's suggested maybe something else is inside the ship or maybe even inside um, one of the cast members. I think that's what really got me because I was... We started out in the first of the two episode arc, and it felt like it was going to turn into, I don't know, John Carpenter's The Thing or something like that, you know, where somebody uh, was a host for some creature. We just had like a big creature episode uh, in the Daleks. So I was getting all amped up for them to have to uh, sniff out whatever malevolent force was there on board and I don't know it just s- seemed like such a letdown when we got to the second episode yeah. resolution 
they did yeah they did they did kind of let me down like i was um when that suggestion first came up and of course like <laughs> you know susan creepily hints at it you know well what if this, mm-hmm. you know what if it's inside one of us and i was like yes please be inside one of them like i was really hoping that it was like some kind of like you know sideways dimension creature you know that's why the it's door got a was great open, title right? it came in you know watcher in the woods did either have either of you ever seen that movie no nah, i if, haven't oh god if you ever get the opportunity and it lent Oh, listen, oh, it's amazing. Listeners, if you ever get the opportunity, it's an old Disney movie back when Disney still did creepy stuff, like, you know, like disturbing stuff. Uh, I want to say it's from like the 70s and it's about like a family that's moved into this manor house in the English countryside. And there's like this, there's all this kind of creepy stuff going on, very taut, very British. And... um you know, they're trying to figure out what what's behind what unseen creature is behind all these phenomenon. And of course, there's a lot of like POV stuff from like this mysterious, you know, watcher. Anyway, it's it's an excellent film. And I was really, really hoping that that's kind of where uh, this this episode was going. And like you said, they're going to have to like sniff it out and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. Um, well, I think that's what Whitaker wanted you to think, because at this point, you know, when you did have all those sorts of movies in the 50s, you know, the evil is within us sort of communist metaphor type thing. I mean, I think that's what he was sort of playing on that idea and that expectation. You know, and I get it. And it did. It does. You know, and I, I'm sure that maybe he felt kind of you know, clever in doing a turnabout where it's, it's more of a character driven drama. And I get that and I get that, but it does definitely make like the ultimate resolution, like kind of a letdown. And you know, spoiler alert, I'm just gonna say right now, it's a broken switch guys. It's a broken switch. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a, <laughs> it's a spring that didn't work. Like really, you know, this is definitely one of those uh, instances where there's the, like I actually drew an eye rolling face in my notes when I saw it, <laughs> like, you know, but at the same time, you know, even if the resolution was bad and even if you know, I got let down by, you know, the alien visitor thing, it was still, you know, I still I liked I liked the drama. I certainly liked um, it was it was it took its time, despite the fact that, it, you know, it was only two episodes. It kind of it was a gentle ease in like a uh, like a compromise episode or um you know, like you said, it's this is like the third kind of story, right? Like this is them kind of showing, oh yeah, well, you know, we did, you know, your cavemen time travel HG Wells stuff, and then we did your like high sci-fi, you know, pepper pot robot stuff, and now we're gonna do like, you know, your psychological drama stuff. Please don't cancel us. We appeal to everybody. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, but I enjoyed like the accusations flying. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, with, you know, the doctor uh, basically accusing Ian and Barbara of sabotaging his ship. And can I just say that Barbara yelling, yelling at the doctor, I loved it. I loved Barbara in this episode. You know, like she really came into her own. I was really impressed to see that because I felt in a lot of ways Barbara was kind of underrepresented up until this point in the series and you know they surprised me a little bit by kind of putting her 
center stage you know I was, I was impressed with that yeah i mean in a lot of ways just that one that that scene where she you know she yells at the doctor and i have this as you know a big thing in my notes with arrows pointing to it how barbara just really gets mad tells the doctor to stop being stupid you know how he'd be dead without her and ian yeah how he how he should be getting on his hands and knees and thanking them yeah but that you know any sort of gratitude is the last thing that he'll ever have or any common sense either yeah yeah that whole speech was fantastic we'd been talking about uh how the series hadn't really had a chance to come to a head in a kind of a climax if this was really meant to be a series finale uh, as it was originally envisioned but i do think that there are issues that are coming to a head like when they were uh, in in the caveman story arc um or on on planet scaro yeah it just kind of let all of our characters deal with some of um these issues that had been bubbling up between them but hadn't really come to the surface yeah i can definitely see that and 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 you know what in that i guess maybe that's just kind of my um modern television watcher attitude expecting so much more drama uh or you know explosions so to speak from something that could be a potential series ender but i guess in your way you're right like they maybe they were thinking well you know i mean this could be the end of it we should at least give those people at home the uh, satisfaction of of knowing that um you know, Barbara got to talk about the Cave of Skulls and how she was feeling kind of raw about that. You know, so I guess, I guess, yeah, somebody, somebody actually got to tell the doctor off, right? So, like, you know, the people at home were just going, "I, ho- I just, I hope we get to find out how Barbara feels about the Cave of Skulls." And weren't you happy? This, this really does a lot to resolve a lot of the interpersonal conflicts and i think that's a big part of why this episode did remain as part of the schedule because i think that was one of whitaker's goals here to sort of correct some of that um he might have seen there was a bit too much tension between the characters and I think one of his goals was to resolve some of that. Yeah, and and at the very least, it gives them kind of a new, um, you know, a new baseline to build off of for the next season, which is certainly something that, you know, a lot of television shows do, right? Like there's there's kind of a uh, the 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 season finale leaves the characters changed, and then it's it's a way to kind of segue into uh, the next season, kind of build off of yeah. the new you know system of relationships that's developed. Mm-hmm. It, it brings so, them back into harmony with one another. Um, they you can tell maybe trusts them a little bit more. He yeah. he kind of was a little bit more reckless, like go it alone. But I think at the resolution of this story. Um, our, our heroes are, you know, more of a solid unit than when they started. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely are, yeah. Also, I think we, uh, so, they, okay, so we've got all the drama. Everybody's uh, throwing accusations at each other. They're trying to figure out what's going on. We also had some fun bits of violence, Susan. Yeah, yeah, we, we can't forget that. <laughs> she went 
ballistic on that space bed, which incidentally, I would like <laughs> to say that space bed looked really comfortable. I would like to find out if that's yeah. a real thing. If anybody out there knows if that's a real like bed type thing, I would love to have one in my living room. But yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, we got to see a little bit more of the TARDIS in this episode as well. We got to see bedrooms and space beds and space scissors and space (laughs) scissors going into space beds. And we can assume, I was going to say, we can assume they have, like, at the very least, a space junk drawer, if not a space office, because what are scissors doing on the TARDIS? I was was asking myself just the same thing. They do a little world building, too, because I think um, Susan references adventures that she and her grandfather had before the series began unless i misunderstood that Mm -hmm. yeah oh no yeah yeah, she does and so the doctor does as well when they're looking at the monitor he says something about like the planet zorbos okay yeah you know yeah i got that in the in the (laughs) second universe or whatever and it's like i mean that was very much a a a techno babble kind of moment but um yeah but it makes it feel fuller you know it It makes uh, the world feel bigger Despite the fact that, in fact, this is the perhaps the most constrained their world has ever been, uh, <laughs> at least in terms of the show. So yeah. uh, it was a very quiet episode, too, for the most part. Although uh, th- there is something. <laughs> Do you guys remember there was a so there's this, well, there's one period. There's I'm sorry. There's one moment where, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on and the doors, you know, open mysteriously at one point, And there's this awful, like crazy alien roaring coming in from the outside. Do you remember yeah. that? <laughs> like, what was that? That's never explained because it's supposed to be just empty space out there. And it was like, close the door, close the door. What is that? Never talked about it again. Yeah. It's the void. Right. The, <laughs> just the, the horror. Screen. The Yeti void, Chewbacca void. Yes. They're all troubleshooting everything. And then, who is it? Who is it Barbara who first suggests that, like, that the ship might be alive or trying to tell them something? Yep. I mean, first you have um, the incidents with the melting clocks where everything yeah. just goes all Salvador Dali on us. Yeah. And that's definitely that a good Barbara strange. freak out moment. And then, you know, based on that, Barbara, yeah, she brings up a number of different things. Like she, at, later on, she'll suggest maybe it's the ship trying to tell us something. Right. right. That comes after her just insane explanation of you know what's going on when she's talking about um we've had time taken away from us but now it's being given back to us because it's running out right (laughs) i I remember yeah that that part was a little odd although she does have a really good quote in that and where she says it's a a measure of time as long as it lasts Uh, i thought that was that sounded really cool but um yeah, and, and they're like a machine that can think for itself, and I and I remember thinking, wow, yeah, all right, you know, it goes back this the the notion of like the the power source, aka the what later becomes like the heart of the TARDIS, and it having kind of its own consciousness, its own, uh, to a degree, but also the suggestion that 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 consciousness might be very different from human consciousness. And I thought that was very cool and kind of like uh, forward looking. Yeah, and I think that is another. One of the reasons why this is a you know really important episode, just because it introduces us to the idea that this machine might be sentient and might be intelligent. And I think that's one of the 
You know, I don't think that this story is so much, oh, the resolution is it's a faulty spring. I think it's more the resolution is the TARDIS is alive and is trying to warn them of a problem. And I think that's supposed to be, you know, the big takeaway. I I wish they had sold it a little bit more. I mean, it just feels a little too much like, oh, well, here's your problem. You know, it's a it's a hardware malfunction. (laughs) I don't know. It just seemed like such a cheap ending. The idea that the TARDIS is alive and trying to tell them something was a cool idea. But I didn't feel like I felt like they cheated me out of that, too. Well, and part of it might just be the era, right, and the lack of tropes. Because I remember thinking to myself, you know, if this was a modern television show, there would be like this unique kind of melding experience that only Barbara has that totally and firmly convinces her that the ship is alive. But everybody else kind of doubts it. And then it ends with like a lingering shot of her kind of, you know, petting the control panel or something lost in a reverie of her experience, you know, that kind of thing. But they, I certainly, they didn't do that. <laughs> no. Well, I, you know, it's, it's funny that you talked about the, the differences between then and now I had uh, in my notes, it's just really weird going from the dramatic Dalek arc to this slow paced episode that feels very claustrophobic and slow uh-huh. Yeah, well, I mean, slow, sure, but like the claustrophobic uh, aspect of it, I thought it was great. Like, I mean, they did it like it was, like I said, it's very quiet and the tension had to be entirely cast driven, right? And they almost, mm-hmm. almost pull it off, you know, at least by modern standards. I feel like it, well, I don't know. This, I wasn't bothered by Susan's overacting in previous episodes, right. but it was like, Barbara was selling it so well that, like, I had a real trouble that, like, Susan just seemed so... She's just trying to chew on the scenery. <laughs> right. And that's that's definitely one of the other reasons I was disappointed that it wasn't, like, an alien. I was like, it's totally Susan, right? <laughs> Why is she stabbing the couch? Well, that's something an alien would do, right? You know, just, Yeah, it's like she's stabbing the couch. She's creepily... um just hanging out behind the water cooler while uh, the doctor and Ian are talking. Right, right. But uh, so that doesn't end up being it, as we've discussed. And, you know, they very slowly and laboriously work out that, you know, the, the scanner is safe for a reason, right? Anything else you touch knocks you out, which, you know, if you're under a time crunch, that seems like kind of maladaptive, right? Like if it wants to tell you that there's only a certain area of the console that you should touch because, you know, you need to get this problem resolved quickly, maybe don't like knock them out for five minutes. You know, that's five less (laughs) minutes that there's not problem solving happening, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, the doctor says that the TARDIS has a machine mind and doesn't, wouldn't think the way that a person yeah. thinks. It doesn't really seem to be thinking all that logically. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it, like, it gives them melting clocks and craziness that, you know, only Barbara and her intuition can solve. Right. And if it can melt clocks, couldn't, you know, you'd think it could like pull a horda or something and like carve a message <laughs> in the floor, you know, like reboot I. You know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm afraid but. that our listeners are going to think I'm pretty thick because, like, I ended up having a little bit of difficulty figuring out exactly what was going on or the reason for 
some of the different clues and that sort of thing. I mean, like, oh, you're not uh, alone. Okay, yeah, no, no, don't, don't think for a moment that I understood all that stuff. No way. Like it was de- definitely very like it felt not a little to, forced, but right. Know. Not to put too much of a pun on it, but it was definitely very Deus Ex Machina when she like you know Barbara starts to spell it all out. It's like Barbara is either, like Barbara's a genius and I'm a moron because like I didn't get any of that stuff. <laughs> she read the yeah, script. Yeah, no, it's it's a little. Uh, it's a. I, I'm not sure how anybody would really be able to figure it out based on the clues that were given. Oh, yeah. It's the world's worst escape room. I would totally just, you know, <laughs> die. So there's I, I also, so uh, they're, they're trying to figure everything out, right? I remember at one point, uh, you know, because you know, uh, we couldn't go an entire episode without at least just a little bit, you know, just a little bit of sexism or a little bit of racism, you know, this product of the times. Where the doctor decides that he's just gonna he's just gonna not tell the women <laughs> that he thinks yeah, they're you know, all gonna it's die. Like, the ship's gonna blow up in fifteen minutes. Susan, Barbara, why don't you go over there? And then it's just like, Ian, I lied to the women. We only have five minutes. Yeah, I don't want them to know. <laughs> like they can't handle it, but will you face it with me, fellow man? And I was like, Oh yeah. all right. <laughs> well, we were doing all right. But you know, I mean Could have been worse. On the one hand, yeah, it's the typical um, 60s-type sexism-type deal. But I think that that was also meant to show, hey, you know, the doctor's becoming a bit nicer in that he's actually trying to protect people's feelings now. That could be Unlike, you know, 15 minutes before in the episode where he drugged everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And he definitely had that... That like cartoon villain, you're like, <laughs> doesn't even like laugh to himself yeah. at one point. Yep, he's there. You know, he's like, sabotage my TARDIS, will you? <laughs> Time to drug you and throw you out into the void. I mean, th- this episode, for as much as we've been ragging on it a little bit, I mean, it's got violence and and drugs and all sorts of stuff. So there's some wild stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. I it's a it's it's crazy. So yeah, the, the the escape room, you know, continues. The uh, the doctor getting like this is one part. I this is definitely where they even like lost me. So up until this point, I was prepared to accept that you know Barbara explains it all. Um, I was prepared to you know that, that things were gonna be. But then the the they start to talk about like the 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 power source and how you know uh, there's a force and it's the beginning of the solar system and then a very interesting um discussion of um you know uh, stellar system genesis goes on um yeah the doctor gives an extended speech about the birth of solar systems which you know is cool and dramatic i'm not sure if it was much more than giving Hartnell a chance to show his dramatic chops, but... Well, it could have been uh, satisfying that educational requirement, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. But but he really does, like, play it up. This is, this is kind of his moment to shine in the episode. I personally thought it's a little more satisfying when he... He can bounce off someone, you know, like when he's right. complimenting Barbara near the end. It's like a quieter moment, but this is really his dramatic monologue. Sure, okay. yeah, you know that's 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 basically the the end of the episode. You know, once they've got the problem figured out, basically the 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 remainder of the episode is spent on 
the doctor and, and Barbara and kind of like dealing with it. Like, I guess, you know, and especially. Yeah, well, one thing I'd like to point out, they realize or the doctor realizes that they're heading back in time toward the beginning of a solar system. And, you know, he mentions they use the he used the fast return switch in an attempt to get them back to Earth. We get a close up of the fast return switch and you just see fast return switch <laughs> written in a felt marker next to it. <laughs> That's I did not notice that. Um, but I do remember thinking like, wait a minute, like so how is the fast return switch just different from like go backwards, right? Like shouldn't yeah, that no. <laughs> shouldn't that be just like a, a single press kind of like, let's just go back. Okay, cool. Instead of like, you know, yep. like instead of a let's just go backwards in time like, yeah, for however long it's pushed down. Right. Like he's like he's pumping gas and trying to get it at exactly ten dollars. Like yeah. he has to just oh, let it go see, at the right time. See, I, I got the impression that he hit it once and because the spring broke when he hit it, it just brought mm-hmm. them back to it the very beginning. Going. I didn't fi- figure he had to keep it depressed the whole time. But hey, I don't no, know how I, the TARDIS I no works. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like usually those kind of buttons, like if, you know, you press it and then it does a single thing and holding it down doesn't doesn't matter. But I guess, you know, maybe it's he's got like, you know, the, the Windows key repeat turned on or something. Right. And if you hold I, it down, I can't it's, it's I going. can't tell whether it was like a kind of a sweet sentiment that he wanted to take Barbara and Ian back to where they came from. Or if I should still be annoyed at him that he didn't just immediately press it when they left. Uh, what was it? One hundred thousand BC. Yeah, you'd you'd think that would have been the time to push it, right? <laughs> right, but no. Off to Scarrow we go. Well, but they wouldn't. He wouldn't have had the chance to save the series if they hadn't gone there. So. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But the reason why that note is there—that that's the fast return switch. Apparently, Hartnell and Caroline Ford had a tendency to, you know, write notes to themselves of what everything on the TARDIS was. So, you know, they'd make sure they're pushing the right thing <laughs> in the right place. And they expected members of the crew to remove these notes. That didn't happen. <laughs> so that was their continuity note. That's great. Wow. Yep. That's great. <laughs> well, I mean, you'd mentioned that he really wanted to, to sell it to the kids. So he wasn't just doing yeah. things at random. So that makes perfect sense. But that is funny. They just like leave little things in there. In fact, I had a note about um, when the doctor at one point says we're on the brink of destruction. And I would have said, "Okay, it's time to take a drink. But he flubs it so spectacularly. It's really not worth it. He he has some great flubs in this one. He really does. That's one of my favorite ones, though. Just, you know, that when he just starts mumbling incoherently <laughs> at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the edge, of dis- this, the edge of Destruction flub was the one where I was like, oh, my. I, even I was like, oh, my God. And I was just imagining all the crew members being like, oh, not again. But especially so, you know, back to the, you know, kind of yeah. resolution of the episode. And we're dealing with, you know, we're dealing. It's barb time. Right. And yeah, uh, I, I think it certainly lends. Uh, credence to the idea that this was really their their big kind of wrap up thing right because you know there's a very good chance there's a 
a very available chance for Ian to be mad uh, at the doctor. But then he's just like, <laughs> no big deal, right? I'll yeah, just let I mean, you talk to Barb the Barb is still a bit mad, but, uh, but Ian's, <laughs> Ian's just fine. like, oh, no problem, old chap. Yeah, I, uh, that's what, you know, bygones be bygones. You tried to throw me into the void. You drugged me, but, well, boys will be boys. And so, yeah, and I believe this is the point where the doctor calls him Chartow. <laughs> Here, Chartow. And Ian just rolls his eyes. Here, Chartow, oh, have you. this enormous right. coat. <laughs> yes. Right. Here's this coat I got from Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that. Is that like a... I don't know. Anyway, he's like, well, I thought it was meant for two people. <laughs> Funny joke that, you know, is not I'm not timely enough for. It's just, you know, the doctor name dropping for the first time. Okay. The first of many times. Okay. Yeah. And, and then Ian makes a dad joke. So that's fair. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, of course, yeah, Barbara being, being sullen. I mean, it didn't last very long, but I did enjoy the fact that they showed that not everyone is just immediately ready to... Um, uh, forgive the doctor, but um, yeah. eventually uh, she does come around, and he, you know, mentions how valuable she is to, uh, to both to her and to the audience, and and here we are, and then that's the end. Yeah, and I mean, I think that scene between Barbara and the doctor at the end that might actually be the most important of the things that I think were um, Whitaker's goals here. You know, there was establish the TARDIS as a sort of sentient, almost magical being. There was, you know, sort of deal with these relationship issues. But I think that that nice heart-to-heart between Barbara and the Doctor goes a long way towards softening his character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it definitely... The more we talk about it, the more I, I definitely feel like it is it's a better series ender than I initially thought it was, right? Because they've they've it's almost as if they wanted to just establish everything that they wanted to establish, throw out a bunch of stuff, it convince someone that this was a rich world worthy of further monetary exploration and airtime. And then, you know, this is us. This is Doctor Who. And we're on a snow planet now. Please fund us again. Well, we'd, we'd <laughs> been thrust into a bunch of adventures with characters we didn't really know. And so now that we've seen them play off of each other and off of other characters for a while, it was good to have a chance to see them just with each other and, and dealing with their differences and that sort of thing. Actually, it's kind of funny that this is the first episode for us where it's just the three of us playing off of each other. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I I wish, you know, and again, this is maybe maybe just an artifact of the times, but you know, I it, I wish they they don't they all still feel kind of like archetypes though, don't they? Like you don't like we don't know what kind of music Barbara likes, for example, or what Ian does in his spare time. Like he hasn't he didn't spend any time you know, kind of leaning against the console saying, oh, I can't believe I'm going to die in space. You know, this I'd probably be fishing right now or something. And then, you know, I like to go on this river and there's this fly bait I like to use, you know, that kind of stuff. Like they don't really get into any of that. They all do definitely still feel like kind of like archetypes. So while they did, while their interactions were developed a little bit more, they themselves weren't. Yeah, well, we'll see if that, how much, 
people get developed. I think that Barbara is starting to become more of a character. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And, um, you know, definitely the doctor is beginning to become a bit more of the character we know nowadays. It doesn't, you know, it takes a few more stories for it to really set in this softening of his character. But um, I think this is really where that begins, where we get to see a, you know, kinder, gentler doctor and not the, haha, I'm going to drug you and steal my own fluid link <laughs> and do all, and, you know, murder a caveman. Right. You know, uh, something about this, uh, I, w- I was thinking a little bit about Star Trek because you have a, you have a world that has been envisioned, at least in the original concept, where all of the crew members, you know, for the most part, uh, were harmonious and trying to work together to solve a problem. Doctor Who kind of puts us with characters who are are kind of undermining each other a little bit. I mean, the the Doctor himself is is sometimes at, being creating the, problems. Definitely the first few episodes. You know, so it's nice to have this to kind of realign them. So. I mean, I don't know if the doctor is going to sabotage them again. You know, he very well might, but he's more likely to work with the other That's a safe bet. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a sort of, you know, course correction slash realignment type story. Well, yeah, and, and I think that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty clear, especially given what we now, we now know what the intentions were behind it. Yeah. And I mean, it's good to see, you know... At the end, when they are, you know, we've referred to it a couple times, but the TARDIS lands, they're out in the snow. And instead of, you know, Ian and Barbara being all like, ah, we're not home again, they have a fun snowball fight and, you know, everybody's enjoying themselves. Yeah, everybody together. That's definitely worth mentioning. And it's sort of like now it's become a fun adventure rather than a you gotta get us home. And the beginnings of a little family as well, almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's all I've got. <laughs> all right. Well, then, I guess we'll start with our reactions to this episode. Do we want to give it a thumbs up, thumbs down, or do you just say it's kind of meh? Bay, we'll start with you. Oh, man. See, I was hoping that you are going to leave me for last. Um Okay, so Sean, we we talked through this uh, a little bit, and my initial reaction to this two episode arc was very negative. I was like, thumbs down all the way. Upon reflection and us talking through it, I mean, I definitely see the value in the arc, and it gets a lot done in a short amount of time. I'm torn because I felt so very cheated uh, by several things here. Uh, I felt like they didn't stick the landing with the TARDIS being alive. I felt like they led us down a certain path where we thought there was going to be some kind of invasion of the body snatchers type scenario that uh, was totally squandered. I, I still want to give it its thumbs down, but I really enjoyed uh, the development of Barbara and the development of the Doctor so let me leave it at a meh. Okay. Andy, how about you? Yeah, I'd still I still give it a thumbs up. 
although the reasons behind that definitely shifted uh, upon subsequent watchings and then our discussion of it. Like I've given it th- kind of three different thumbs up and I'm not really sure whether like that's just me kind of in- interpreting, you know, what they intended uh, or if, you know, it's actually just that good, you know. But um, despite I, it's definitely mixed uh, kind of wanders a little bit and like like Bay mentioned it there's a couple of uh, red herrings that I really wish weren't and I can totally see how like a first time viewer would be like this sucks but I liked it and I, I was I was initially prepared to give it a thumbs up because it had the guts to be kind of like like a taught uh, psychological drama and then I was going to give it a thumbs up because it was like kind of hidden uh good writing um and now i'm i'm still gonna give it a thumbs up i think it's i think it's pretty solid and i really especially if for no other reason than because you know now you know barb has come into her own and has contributed as a real character it's definitely different yeah yeah (laughs) i am absolutely giving this one a thumbs up i think that it's a story that tends to get overlooked but I also think that it's one of it's just as important as an unearthly child or the Daleks. Um, I mean, this story really does a lot with what it has. It doesn't have the, you know, some of the writing is a bit nonsensical at times. The resolution isn't the most satisfying in the world. But this has always been one of my favorite uh, First Doctor stories. Not not an absolute favorite, (laughs) but I I really like psychological drama nature of it. I love Creepy Susan. Yeah. See, I feel so bad now for ragging on it. (laughs) (laughs) He was so nice, too. He was just like laughing and smiling when I was... You know, tearing it a new one. I think that's perfectly <laughs> fine, though, right? You know, like this. Oh yeah, like, I mean, this is all about. You're allowed to have your reaction to it, and I know that I like this story way more than most people. And then also, this is, I mean, like this is the whole reason people even listen to stuff like this. They're like, you know, oh man, I, 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 I want to see how much they they tear that episode. I hate it apart, or. Also, you know, what did I, you know, what did I miss about this? Like, why was this even aired? That kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's, I think it's I, a I will say talking to you guys really made me appreciate these episodes more. Well, great. That's good to hear. So, a um, little bit about viewing numbers and reactions to this episode. These continued with the Daleks viewing numbers. So it stayed around that. 10 to 10.5 million viewers mark the modern day reactions uh, most people will say that this is a fairly middling episode they'll give it you know six out of ten or so in a 2008 poll this story came in at number 158 out of 200 (laughs) ouch yeah it's i I feel vindicated (laughs) (laughs) It's usually praised for its strong imagery, the way it fleshes out the characters and turns the TARDIS into one, its tense psychological horror, 
And of course, Jacqueline's Hill, Jacqueline Hill's acting as Barbara. I mean, that gets universal praise yeah. from this episode because she, she awesome. is absolutely fantastic in this. Yeah, she's great. On the other hand, it sacrifices the plot to do all this. The story is barely there and doesn't make sense if you think about it too much. There is one review that I read that refers to this as the single maddest thing that Doctor Who has ever attempted. (laughs) And, you know... Now, was that like in a respectful way? Like, did they say, you know, oh, yeah. I no, I, I'd say that they had a lot of respect for it. Um, like a crazy, like a fox yeah. kind of way. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of mixed feelings about this episode, a lot of mixed opinions. Now, didn't you say there was like, um, there were some complaints? Yes, there was a um, complaint at the time about the scene in which Susan just starts stabbing the space bed. <laughs> Um, There were complaints from the children's department in the BBC, probably from other sources, to a point where Verity Lambert had to write a letter of apology. Wow. I don't know what was in that letter of apology, but um, yeah, apparently she had to make an apology for Susan stabbing things with some scissors. You know, that's kind of crazy given that in other episodes, people are straight up killed. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can certainly see if things had been tamer before, you know, people, you know, balking at their children's television having like reefer madness couch stabbing in it. But, you know. But yeah, I mean, we we have a um, a counter for the number of people who die in this show. So. Right. I mean, can we give can we give that counter a ding for that? uh for the space bed? For the space bed. <laughs> the poor yeah, murdered exactly. space bed. <laughs> like maybe a half ding. We'll give the space bed a half ding, and uh, we'll give that poor, poor broken spring a ding. Aw. R.I.P. <laughs> yep, R.I.P. Broken spring. TARDIS spring. So, um, next time on Doctor Who's That, we'll be talking about the serial Marco Polo which happens to be our first missing serial. So we'll see how that ends up going. Huh. So, yeah, we're running into our first um, entirely missing story. Seven episodes, all of them gone. Now, I ran into... I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, or listened, I guess, yet, but I did run into uh, what appeared to be kind of like an animatic version of it on youtube is that legit like is that all of it have you seen that i haven't seen it i don't know if that's official or anything it certainly sounds right so i know that the bbc has animated some of the missing episodes i know that fans have animated some i sent you all the fan-made reconstructions as well as the official bbc audio releases i'm looking forward to it And for those of you listening at home, um, you could find these reconstructions sometimes on YouTube. I've had more luck locating them on dailymotion.com. I'd say look for the uh, loose cannon reconstructions. They're probably the best of that type. Or you could just listen to the um, BBC 
audios. You could get those off of audible.com. I'm excited. So not to, you know, plug things, but (laughs) if you want to contact us, our Twitter is dr underscore who's underscore that. Our email is that at gmail.com with doctor spelt out. Uh, We have a Facebook group. If you're enjoying the show so far, please subscribe, rate, tell people about it. And um, I guess that's all that we have to say. So thank you for listening and have a good night. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode. And may your fast return springs stay in working order. Always remember to check the springs in your magic box. (laughs) 